Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. In your mind, answer the question, who would you be without Jesus? Who would you be without Jesus? Now, I know some of you are saying, well, I would be who I've always been. Well, if who you are in Jesus is the same person you've always been, we need to reintroduce you to Jesus. You need to come to an understanding of who Jesus really is. Who are you without Jesus? What would your life be without Jesus? What would your life be without Jesus? How would your faith develop without Christian friends and Christian servants and Christian individuals ministering to you? The better question, I guess, would be, what is your joy in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? What is your joy in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. I've asked that as we begin this study in Philippians that you would take the time to read through the book of Philippians at least once a week through our study, that you would take the time to uh, focus in on what it is that you are reading, not just skim through it, not just allow your eyes to track the words, but your mind not track the significance of the words. I pray that you will enter into the discipline of gleaning from the Word of God the riches that it contains. Back when I was a sophomore in high school, I came across this book. It's entitled, How to Read a Book, The Classic Guide to Intelligent Reading. And I know that sounds kind of odd, kind of strange to have a book on how to read a book, to read a book on how to read a book, but I tell you what, uh, Dr. Mortimer Adler, Adler, who was for many years an outstanding uh, philosopher and philosopher of religion, gave me insight through this book on really how to read intelligently. Uh, it's, it's more than skimming. It's more than just uh, briefly running through, catching the gist of things. Uh, the discipline of actually reading for understanding um, is a discipline that we all need to have. Campbell Morgan, George Campbell Morgan, arguably one of the greatest expository preachers in the first uh, several decades of uh, last century. Before he ever read, before he ever preached a passage of Scripture, he would read the book that Scripture was found in 40 to 50 times. 
And then he felt like he was ready to be able to preach from that book. Forty to fifty times he would read the book before he would preach from that book. And so I've asked you to read with me the book of Philippians each week through our study and that we would gain insight as to what it is God is saying to us through this particular text. I pray that in, in reading and studying the Word together, we can come to an understanding of, of this song of joy that the Apostle Paul had. Uh, and again, remember that this book of Philippians was written when Paul was incarcerated, when he was in prison, when, when he was in chains. And yet he could write such a wonderful book of joy to the Philippian Christians while he was in that situation. And I pray that we will also come to an understanding through this book of what a mature, Christ-centered, joy-filled Christian really looks like. What a spiritually mature, Christ-centered, joy-filled Christian really looks like. And I think that's very, very important for us to know, and it's something very important for us to understand and experience today, especially the days that we're living in. And so I want us to take a look at the book of Philippians this morning, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. And we'll stop there. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. Seven words. And in these seven words that we would normally pass off as being uh, simply a salutation, uh, a word of greeting, a word of introduction to the Philippian Christians, Paul states three important statements necessary for us to understand in order for us to experience some of the joy that the Apostle Paul experienced in writing this letter. First statement, he states his partnership in ministry. The second statement, he states his position in Jesus Christ as a minister. The third statement, he states the theme of the letter. Three important statements, seven words, three important statements that would help us to understand why the Apostle Paul, in chains, in Rome, waiting to see the high official and to argue his case before the high official of the Roman Empire, writes this letter of joy. How do these factor into Paul's joy? Well, in the first place, Paul states his partnership in ministry. His partnership in ministry. Notice what he says. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. Paul and Timothy. Now, we know who Timothy was to Paul. We touched on that subject last 
Sunday, but just as a a quick refresher, Timothy was a disciple of Paul, most likely a convert of the Apostle Paul during Paul's first missionary journey as he was going through Asia Minor, came into the region of Lystra and Derbe. As he was preaching, his mother and his grandmother, Eunice and Lois, came to faith in Jesus Christ. We believe that Timothy came to faith in Jesus Christ at that same time. On Paul's second missionary journey, he again was going through Asia Minor, came through the region of Lystra and Derby, and he heard of Timothy, the elders of the region, had remarked how uh, wonderful Timothy was, how mature he had become in the Christian faith, and, and they spoke very well of him. Paul then enlisted Timothy to be his companion uh, with Silas on the second missionary journey. And so he was called to be a minister. We believe he was in his late teens, probably 18, 19, or maybe in his early 20s when the Apostle Paul enlisted him to join with him on the missionary journey. He was going to be Paul's disciple. Paul was going to be his spiritual mentor. And this was going to be a growth and development in Christian maturity, not only through the words that Paul had to speak to him, but also through the experiences that they would share together in ministry. The things that they would face, the things that they would have to confront, the things, the difficulties, the hardships that they would have to uh, endure, and as well as the joys, the successes, and the victories that they would experience through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And through that relationship together, for many years, the Apostle Paul said that Timothy had become a true son in the faith, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2. He also said that Timothy possessed a genuine faith, and we'll speak to that here in just a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. As the years progressed in their ministry together, Timothy became a representative of the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth and also to the church in Philippi. And then later on, Timothy became the pastor of the church at Ephesus. He was with Paul in Rome during his first imprisonment in Rome. He assisted the Apostle Paul in writing the letters of 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and Philemon. Later on, Timothy was imprisoned for his faith in Jesus Christ. We do not have any record of the latter life of Timothy, but Christian tradition tells us that he pastored the church in Ephesus until A.D. 97. And it was in that year, while Timothy was ministering there in the church at Ephesus, that a pagan mob had gathered outside and was marching up and down the city streets 
and singing praises to their pagan god and celebrating and worshiping and uh, in, involved in all kinds of frivolity uh, with regard to their pagan god. Timothy went out and confronted them, most likely with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They surrounded him and they beat him to death and left him dead in the city street. That's a thumbnail sketch of who Timothy was and who he was to the Apostle Paul. But Timothy was not the only partner in ministry that the Apostle Paul had in the course of his life, and he was certainly not the only uh, partner in ministry that the Apostle Paul had in Rome when he was in prison. Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, the book of Colossians, the book of Philippians, and the letter to Philemon while he was imprisoned in Rome. And if you read those books, particularly in the benediction section of the book, you'll find that there were other individuals who were with the Apostle Paul there in Rome as he was incarcerated. There was a man by the name of Aristarchus, a Greek Christian from Thessalonica. And the Apostle Paul says that he was a fellow prisoner, which means that not only was Paul in chains, but Aristarchus was also in chains with Paul in Rome. There was also John Mark. And you'll remember who John Mark was. He was the young man who went with the Apostle Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey, but who turned away from the responsibility and from the work of uh, evangelism and mission work when things got a little tough. In Pamphylia, he turned around and he went back home. There is Jesus, also known as Justice, who was a Jewish convert and a faithful worker with Paul in Colossae. Epaphras, a fellow prisoner. So he was also in chains with the Apostle Paul and with Aristarchus there in Rome. Possibly it was Epaphras that was a co-founder of the church in Colossae. Luke, of course, was with the Apostle Paul a physician, medical doctor, who was a traveling companion with Paul on all of his missionary journeys and who authored the books of Luke and the book of Acts. There was another man by the name of Demas from Thessalonica. He was with Paul in Rome, was a faithful worker with the apostle Paul uh, at the beginning of the ministry. Tychicus, whom Paul says was a dear brother, a faithful servant, who also delivered the letters of Ephesians and Colossians to those churches. Onesimus, who was a fugitive slave of Philemon, who many believe uh, went to Rome. He left uh, his master and he left his um, place of servitude and found his way hundreds of miles away uh, to Rome to hide away, uh, to find a new life. But God brought him 
uh, into the presence of the Apostle Paul. And Apostle Paul was able to speak to him the gospel of Jesus Christ and Onesimus was saved. Paul encouraged Onesimus to return to his master, Philemon, as a dear brother in the Lord. Christian men and women, fellow servants, co-workers in the kingdom of Jesus Christ are a joy to be in the company with and to have with you when you're in ministry. There is joy in Christian partnership in ministry. Some of the greatest blessings that I've ever experienced in the almost 50 years now that I have been preaching have come from fellow servants, fellow pastors, fellow ministers inside the church, inside the church where I was serving and outside the church in other churches where I was serving. And there are far too many of them to list and If I were to give you the names, someone might be offended that their name was not mentioned. But I do want to mention a couple. My wife, Nancy, has been my partner in ministry for 47 years. She has been a rock to me and a rock for me. There were times when I was so discouraged because things weren't going right in the church, because opposition was strong, that I told the Lord I was going to quit. I was going to turn away from the church and I was going to turn away from ministry. I was going to do something else. And I honestly believe if the Lord had not ministered to me at that low, low time in my life, I wouldn't be standing in the pulpit today. She encouraged me by reminding me of the promise I made to the Lord when He called me to serve. And for 47 years, Nancy has been the faithful companion, the faithful servant, the faithful encouragement in my life. Pastor David has been with us for 25 years. We've served together. We've prayed together. We've faced difficulties together. We've cried together. We've rejoiced together. Through his ministry, my spirit soars to the heavens in praise and worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Joe Powell, for 17 years, has served in this fellowship and has been a good friend and a fellow worker. We've not always agreed on things, but good friends can disagree, can't they? 
But he has been a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's been a faithful partner to me in ministry. Chris, Pastor Chris, 10 years now, has been with us in 10 years. I pray he's learned some things from me. I know I've learned a lot of things from him. Sometimes we think we've got the tiger by the tail and we've got the bull by the horns for those of you who are from Texas. And we believe that we can take the helm of the ship and we can sail wherever it is that we feel God is leading us to go until the bull turns on us, until the tiger turns on us, until the ship hits the shoals. And it's then I am grateful to the Lord that we have partners in ministry. Partners are necessary in ministry because we cannot do it alone. We cannot do it alone. Let me give you a couple of reasons why. We need partners. First of all, there's strength in partnership, right? There is strength in partnership. Two and three strands of cord woven together is stronger than a single strand. When you have men and women who come alongside you, young and old, experienced and inexperienced, and they gather around you, and you gather them around yourself, and you begin to talk ministry, you begin to pray ministry, you begin to dream ministry, you begin to discuss ministry. There is strength in numbers. When we face trials, when we face problems, when the, the tsunami is overwhelming, when the tide of the world begins to swamp over us, it is a great thing to have friends in ministry who will stand with you. Paul had a number of men there in Rome with him as he was suffering for the cause of Christ. There is confirmation in partnership. Scripture tells us by two witnesses will a matter be settled. How important it is to have others around us so that when we share the gospel with other people, when we talk about the kingdom of God, when we discuss the ministry, ministries of the church, there are others who stand in agreement with us. It gives us a great, a, a great sense of comfort and joy to know, a, to know that there are partners in ministry that are on the same page. There is help. Scripture tells us that we need to be partnered with other people. For if one falls, there is one there to help him back up. There is one to assist. There is one to support. There is one to defend in ministry. Encouragement. Encouragement. Prayer, praying together, worshiping together, counseling with each other, gaining insight from each other, mentoring one another in 
ministry. I remember the Lord called me to ministry when I was 16. I didn't surrender until I was 17. I wrestled with the Lord over that for a long, long time. It wasn't what I wanted to do. It what was the Lord wanted to do. And after a year of struggle, the Lord convinced me that that was His will for my life. I rejoiced in that after I finally made the decision, yes, I'll do what you want me to do, dear Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. My mother was alive at that time and she wanted us to go back to Arkansas to visit family and friends. And when we went back to Waldron, I wanted to look up an old country preacher by the name of Ford Gant. Ford Gant was one of our pastors when I was a boy. Uh, he was he officiated the marriage of my oldest brother Ronnie and his wife Myrna. And I wanted to look up Ford Gant and I wanted to share my joy with him. And so I, I drove over to Mansfield and beyond Mansfield to the next little town over and I found Brother Gant and he was a very aged man at that point in time. And, and I told him, I said, Brother Ford, I said, God has called me to preach. God has called me to minister, and I wanted to share that with you. And he looked at me. He leaned forward in his chair, and he looked at me straight in the eye, and he said, Brother, what you have chosen and what you have agreed to do, you will find is a happy, hard life. A happy, hard life. And I asked him, What do you mean? And he said, if God has called you to this and you have surrendered to this, this, this will be the source of unlimited joy in your life. It will be the happiest thing that you will ever do. And in this you will find your greatest joy, but it will be hard. It will be hard because the world is still in sin. And many of the people that you will minister to will not understand and will not appreciate your ministry of the gospel. And even at his counsel and even at those words, I still rejoice. I still rejoice because of the people that God has brought into my life to, to disciple me and others that God has brought into my life that I would be able to disciple. Every Christian must be a disciple of mentors. And every Christian must be a mentor of disciples. There is great joy in ministry when you have partners with you in ministry. But there is also great heartache in ministering together. In this list of individuals who were there with Paul in this first imprisonment. There were two men who were a great disappointment to him. One was Demas. In the very beginning, Demas was a faithful servant, was a faithful uh, worker in the ministry. But in Rome, Demas kind of took his eyes off of the Lord and he began to look at the opulence of the city of Rome, uh, the great buildings, the people, the wealth, the power. 
Later on, the Apostle Paul said that in my critical hour of need, Demas abandoned me for the things of the world. And that broke the Apostle Paul's heart. A second individual in that list was John Mark. And you'll remember, and we've reiterated that this morning. But John Mark, even though he abandoned the apostle in Pamphylia, he learned from his cousin Barnabas and got himself involved in ministry on the island of Cyprus. And he grew in his faith. And he grew in spiritual maturity. And now we see John Mark has rejoined with the Apostle Paul in Rome in his first imprisonment there. John Mark came back into the faith and into the fellowship and into the partnership with the Apostle Paul. Partnership. I have found over the years that the joys of partnering with other people in ministry far exceed the heartaches in ministry. And I rejoice for having learned that. Not only from those who mentored me, but also from the experiences God has allowed me to experience. There is a second statement that the Apostle Paul makes. He states his position in Jesus Christ as a minister. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. In Philemon, the Apostle Paul said that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. In Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, and both books of Timothy, he says that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. In Romans, in Philemon, and Titus, he says that he is, uh, excuse me, in, in Romans, and Philippians, and Titus, he says that he is a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He doesn't identify himself in any of these terms to the letters in Thessalonians, in, in Thessalonica, and if you believe that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, he doesn't identify himself in that book either with you with any of these titles but here he says that he is a bond servant now i want you to understand that there are many many individuals who do not agree with the idea of bond servant the word is doulos and doulos simply means a slave that's all it means. It doesn't, it doesn't mean uh, a free slave. It doesn't mean uh, 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 an individual that is a voluntary, uh, has entered into slave, slavery voluntarily. It, it, it doesn't mean that a person has been bought into slavery or born into slavery. It just simply means slave. It means slave. If you look in John chapter 15 and verse 15, I want you to look there for just a minute. John 15, 15. In John 15, 15, Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants. 
doulos. The same word that Paul uses here in Philippians 1, verse 1. Paul, in your English Bible, a slave or a bond slave or a bond servant. And the question comes, well, if Jesus no longer considers us to be servants, bond servants, slaves, then why does Paul call himself a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? And again, there's a lot of discussion about this, and I've not found any three or four individuals in agreement on the subject. But Paul calls himself a slave. I believe that this is Paul's self-designation. I believe that he calls himself a slave, even though Jesus Christ does not call his followers slaves. Paul uses that term to describe who he was and who he is. The idea here is that Paul is a for-life servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, the Apostle Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 9, he refers to himself as the least of the apostles. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8, he says that he was less than the least of all saints. Psychologists would say that um, Paul has a self-esteem issue. But that's not the case. And this is not false humility on the Apostle Paul's part. It is a sincere and appropriate recognition of who the Apostle Paul was without Jesus and who the Apostle Paul desires to be in Jesus. It is the recognition of the sins of his life, something that a genuine Christian can readily identify with, and something that the Apostle Paul never forgot. Something that he never forgot. Look at Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul gives us some insight to this. Chapter 7, looking at verses 14 to 25. Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. Now, Paul is not writing this letter to the Romans as a non-believer. He is a Christian. He met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He spent three years out in the desert of Arabia. He's been mentored by several of the apostles in Jerusalem. He's gone with uh, Barnabas and he's gone with Silas on missionary journeys. He's experienced a lot of things in in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet he writes to the Romans, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. I still struggle with the flesh. I have not arrived spiritually where I could say that I am spiritually perfect. I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. 
If then I do what I will not do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Understand that. Paul is not a proponent of sinless perfection in this life. He realizes as a mature spiritual servant of the Lord Jesus Christ that he still struggles with sin because sin is still present in his life. He says in verse 21, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am. Paul continues to realize the wretchedness of his life in the flesh. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Paul understood and never forgot who he was as a human being. Joy in Jesus. He praised God that Christ Jesus has delivered him from that, but he was still broken in spirit over the sins of his life and the sin that would always be with him in life. Listen, never forget this. Scars of past sins remind us of where we should not have been. Scars of past sins should remind us of where we should not have been. I have scars on my body. I know you have scars on your body as well. Doesn't really matter what the circumstances may be. Maybe they were earned legitimately, maybe not. But the scars remind us of what has happened in the past. And every time you see that scar, you remember where that wound came from. And the Apostle Paul understood the scars, the spiritual scars of his life, and he never forgot them. He didn't relish them, and he didn't live in them. He was simply reminded of them. He recognized those sins. Why would he use the term slave as his relationship to Jesus Christ. Because the Apostle Paul acknowledged the great devastating sin debt that he owed to God. He never forgot that. He recognized the unbelievable, incomprehensible love and grace and mercy of God in Christ Jesus that saved him and released him from that sin debt. 
For that, Paul willingly surrendered his life to Jesus Christ as a servant for life to the Lord Jesus. He was absolutely devoted to Jesus. His service was motivated by his love and by his loyalty and by his gratitude to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was not just a follower of Jesus. He was not just a disciple of Jesus. He was not just a willing servant and slave of Jesus Christ. He was all consumed by the person of Jesus Christ. What joy would there be in such a position? How would the Apostle Paul rejoice in that? In Matthew chapter 11, verses 29 and 30, Jesus gave us a great invitation. He said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To be yoked together with Jesus. Partnership. Partnership with Jesus. And yet, those of us who understand what a yoke is and what it's used for, it is a burden to carry. It is a heavy load to carry. But Jesus said, no, in partnership with me, My yoke is easy. My yoke is not burdensome. Partnering with me is not a dreaded thing. My burden, the load that you bear as a fellow servant with me in the kingdom of God is light. It's not a crushing weight that you have to bear throughout your life. In Jesus Christ, there is a peace that passes all understanding. When there is trouble and turmoil in our world, there is peace in Jesus Christ. Amen? Believing in Jesus Christ, there is joy unspeakable and full of glory. In following Jesus Christ, there is comfort which the world cannot understand and the world cannot give. In suffering for Jesus Christ, there is the assurance of glory. And in serving Jesus Christ, there is great reward here and hereafter. And all of these things stir up the joy of the Lord in our lives. That's what keeps us going as Christians. That's what keeps us pressing on as Christians. That's why we can get up in the morning and we can say, Lord, I know that you are with me today. Guide my footsteps. Open my eyes to see, my ears to hear. Open my hands to serve. There is trouble in our world, but there is victory in Jesus Christ. There is pain in our existence in this life, but there is joy in the Lord as we travel through this life. Amen? In Romans chapter 6, verse 22, the Apostle Paul wrote, But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Paul could not have said it any better in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6, 7, and 8. 
2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6, 7, and 8. After all that Paul had suffered, after all of the humiliation, after all of the opposition, after all of the criticism, after all of the stripes that were laid on his back, after having been led out of the city and stoned and left for dead, after all of the experiences that the apostle Paul had that were dangerous, He comes to the end of his life again in prison in Rome. And he writes to his friend Timothy, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure, that is my death, is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the grace. I have kept the faith. Now, that would be joy enough for me coming to the end of my life and looking back over my life and all that I've experienced as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ to know that I could lay my head on the pillow with a clear conscience and with a peaceful heart would be reward enough for me. But the apostle goes on and says, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul is saying there is joy in being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's tough. There's hardship. Yes. But there is joy in serving the Lord knowing that he is with me in every trial and every tribulation knowing that the partners that he has brought into my life are there to comfort and encourage me and strengthen me but there is also the great reward that I'm going to receive from the Lord himself when I cross the bar and enter into his presence. There is a third statement of the Apostle Paul in the opening words of this letter. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. And that is the theme. That is the theme of the letter to the Philippians. Joy in Jesus Christ. It was not only the letter to uh, the the theme to the letter of the Philippian the letter to the Philippians but it was also the the theme of of Paul's life. Jesus Christ was the theme of Paul's life. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 the apostle Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus Christ, Paul says, is my life. He is the theme of my life. He is the motive in my life. He is the purpose of my life. In Philippians chapter 3, you're there in the book of Philippians already. Look at, verse, look at chapter 3 in verses 3 through 11. Philippians 3 verses 3 through 11. For we are the circumcision. We are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh though I also might have confidence in the flesh Paul is 
going to speak about who he was before Jesus. If anyone else thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. That's the man that I was. I was the cream of the crop. I was the top of my class. I was everything that a Jewish boy would ever want to be. But what things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Not because of Christ. I count these things as loss for Christ. I willingly gave these things up that I might have Jesus. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is, a, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I was on the fast track to success in life. And then I met Jesus. And I gave all of that up, willingly gave that all up, that I might know Jesus. For the rest of my days, I might come to a greater understanding of who Jesus is. And all that Jesus has desired in me and purposed for me. Jesus was the theme of the Apostle Paul's life. And for the Apostle Paul, it was always Jesus Christ. First and foremost, as it should be for every one of us who name the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It was Jesus Christ who confronted him on the road to Damascus, we mentioned a while ago. It was Jesus who opened his mind and his heart and his spirit to the truth of who he really was. It was Jesus who forgave his sin, saved his soul, and began the work of holiness and righteousness in his life. True holiness and true righteousness in his life. It was Jesus who called him to apostleship as an ambassador as a mouthpiece, as a co-laborer in the work of the kingdom of God. It was Jesus who stirred within Paul the desire to tell the people of the world the good news, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ who is able to save. It was Jesus who moved upon the apostle Paul to not only win people to faith in Jesus Christ, but to also disciple them in the faith and in the admonition of the Lord, and then to organize them into churches that would carry on the work of the kingdom here on earth. It was Jesus Christ who took the Apostle Paul to Philippi, where he met a businesswoman that he led to faith in Christ, that led him to a demoniac who, by the power of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul healed of the demons in her life, to a jailer. And to his family who came to faith in Jesus Christ. And in that city, a church was started and flourished. It was because of Jesus Christ 
and for Jesus Christ that the Apostle Paul found himself in Rome, in prison, writing this letter to the Philippian congregation of his joy, his great joy, his exceeding joy in the Lord. You'll note that the letter to the Philippians begins with Jesus Christ. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. It ends with Jesus Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. He refers to Jesus Christ 22 times in 21 verses in the book of Philippians. Chapter 1, verse 8, I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ. Chapter 3, verse 3, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Chapter 3, verse 8, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Chapter 3, verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. From the beginning to the end, first, foremost, and always, it's Jesus Christ who is the theme of Paul's book and of Paul's life. There is joy in Christian partnership in ministry. There is joy in one's position in Jesus Christ in ministry. There is joy in knowing Jesus Christ personally. Christian joy comes not because of circumstances and situations. It comes from a living relationship with a living Lord Jesus Christ. And it is enhanced by the ministry that He has called us to do. And so I ask you again, who would you be without Jesus? Who would you be without Jesus? What would your life be without Jesus? What would you be doing with your life, your time, your resources without Jesus? What is your joy in Jesus Christ this morning. May we always be reminded of the words of the prophet Nehemiah who said in chapter 8 verse 10 the joy of the Lord is your strength. We're facing tough times and it's not going to get any better for a long time if ever. But that's not what we're looking for. And that's not what we're hoping for. And that's not what we're living for. What I'm looking for, what I'm hoping for, what I'm living for, is that the joy of the Lord will continue to increase in my life, in my ministry, in my relationship with God's people as we serve together to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. And I pray, dear friend, that's what you're looking for. That's what you're hoping for. And that's what you are 
living for. Stand with me. David's going to come and lead us as we sing a song and as we dismiss. Whatever we face, embrace the joy and praise God. Praise God from The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.